Well, I want to continue talking to you tonight. Amen. Was that a hallelujah or a praise of the Lord? Amen. <laughs> Good to see Charlie and Janice back from their time away. Praise the Lord. Um, yep. Um, we miss you when you're not here, folks. Amen. Right. You may not realize that other people are connected to you and love you. And uh, that's not just about Charlie and Janice. Amen. <laughs> Turn to somebody and say, we love you. I uh, want to take this uh, you know, topic we talked about last week a little bit further, but just to review with you. Um, understand this, that uh, we thank God and praise God for wherever He chooses to manifest Himself in a special way. Uh, we acknowledge His work in the Welsh Revival. We acknowledge His work at the turn of the century here in the United States. We acknowledge what He's done through the Wesley Brothers and through Asbury. Um, the 1970 outpouring at Concordia, the 1970s-ish outpouring at Asbury, um, what happened in the Toronto Blessing, what's happened in Missouri, what's happened in, uh, you know, in places that you and I love, like uh, Brownsville in, in Florida, and uh, there are some stirrings in Florida again. Look at somebody say some stirrings. And, uh, you know, I encourage you uh, to, to honor what God is doing. God is not calling you, me, or anyone else to be the critic of what He does. So whenever you hear somebody put their mouth on something and just say, you know what, that's between you and God. I'm not going to enter into that with you. I'm going to be a respecter of what God's doing. I'm not going to be a doubter. I mean, it wasn't 24, 48 hours, you know, and some folks in the Reformed tradition had to talk about how, you know, this isn't really how God does this and this is not God. How would you know? You folk don't even believe in the present-day ministry of the Holy Ghost. So how can we possibly even communicate on these things? Uh, that's not our job. Our job is to respect what God is doing. Turn to somebody and tell them, uh, last time I checked, you are not God. And He doesn't ask our permission. <laughs> you know, if He wants to sit down in what you would consider to be the most unlikely place, well, that's so like Him. He really is. Uh, Dr. Sumrall used to say this all the time. Every time you know God moves, man wants to build a box around it, and God loves to jump out of man-made boxes. It is a joy here. But that said, you need to understand one very powerful principle is that God does not dwell in buildings. He doesn't dwell in, in things that are made by man. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And revival is not in a geography, a denomination, a location Revival is actually in you. And right now it's there. Amen. Some of you are thinking, well, I wish somebody would tell me. It's been, <laughs> it's been there all along. It's been there since the day you got born again. Yes. And, uh, you know, Timothy said it well when it, it deals with things like fanning into flame the gift of God within you. Yeah. It's there. And so what really happens in a revival is not that God's bestowing something that's not there. God is causing something to rise up into a flame that was already there. And it's in you right now by the Spirit of God. So what you want to begin to understand is revival is not going somewhere. That's where we receive an unction, receive a refreshing. That's all great. But you and I can operate in revival every single day of our lives if we will. Look at somebody and tell them revival is within you. Come on, say revival is within you. We talked about habits for personal revival, like prayer, praise, and worship, and expectation. You have to expect the manifest presence of God, not just, well, maybe we'll see it once in a blue moon. But no, you ought to expect it every time you walk in this building. Amen. You ought to expect it in every prayer encounter you personally have. 
Every time you open up the Word of God, you should expect that. It has to do with your attitude, valuing the manifest presence of God. Oddly enough, a lot of people just don't value the manifest presence of God. Well, say it with me. I value God's glory, His manifested presence and power and goodness. It requires discipline, continuing in what you know to do that facilitates that manifestation. It has to do with holiness. Every single time God has ever moved in any way across this earth, it has always been accompanied by, if not preceded by, a return to biblical holiness. Not the length of your sleeve or how your hair is, whether you have a tattoo or not. With God, it's all about the heart. Say it with me. With God, it's all about the heart. You can have everything conforming on the outside and on the inside be completely out of sorts with the things of God, be out of sort with, with people, be out of sort with what God would have you be and what He would have you do. And if your, your heart, your inner man is not right, it doesn't matter what the outer man looks like. But the funny thing is the inner man will affect what you do on the outside. But when we talk about holiness, don't make the mistake of thinking it's about all the externals in your life. It's about what's going on on the inside of you. Holiness is required for perpetual revival. Humility is required for perpetual revival. Obedience is required for perpetual revival. If you hear or see the Lord prompting you to do something, then you have to act on that. And how many love to hear great stories about God moving? Amen. Raise your hand if you love to hear great stories about that. How many love to hear great stories in individual people's lives as God uses them? If you want stories yourself, you have to do what God tells you to do. And instead of just appreciating everybody else's stories, listen carefully by the Holy Ghost, God's saying it's time for you to have stories of your own. Right. Yes. If you're minding your own business and you walked into a hospital room and that person was beyond hope and God told you to read a scripture and lay your hands on them and they didn't die, but they got up for the glory of God. That's a story. But watch, it's not going to happen if you and I don't obey him. If we don't speak the word in love, if we don't lay hands on people, if we don't go where we're supposed to go, if we don't meet those needs, if we don't address what's going on. And some of the most amazing things I've ever seen happen just because, you know, on that particular instance, we did what God told us to do. Now, if you're like me, you haven't always done 100%. My alone, this just means Janice right here. How many can you raise your hand and say, I haven't always done that? Well, what you and I don't realize is we missed an opportunity for another story. Let me put it in spiritual terms. We missed another, missed another opportunity for a testimony. Another reason to praise God and acknowledge how good He is in us and through us. So it's critical that you see this. But I want to continue with this talking about how important it is that you see a revival is not something that's outside of you, but is actually within you. Confess that with me. Revival, it was in me. Right now, right say it again, revival, revival is within me and wherever you go. So at any moment in time, something amazing can happen. And I want you to, to, to see tonight the connection between revival in you and developing what I call a whatever mentality or attitude. And I'm not talking about the disrespectful whatever that came out of the mouths of teens for years. Whatever. I'm not talking about that. That's a, you know, disrespectful, you know, caustic kind of, a, you know, flippant attitude. Oh, whatever. Well, get up, kids. We're going to church. Whatever. 
Now, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the attitude that says, when the Lord speaks to your heart, you go, whatever, Lord. Amen. Come on, say it with me. Whatever. Whatever, whatever you want. Yes. Whatever you want me to do. And be able to back that up with conviction in the heart. And then, of course, if you say that, following through with action in your life. Come on, pray that prayer and say, Lord, Lord. give me a whatever attitude. What this comes down to is that revival and yielding to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and obedience go hand in hand. We like all the things that he does in revival and in outpourings, but we've got to tie this back to the principle of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What you're seeing in places where there's an outpouring is not just the manifest presence of the Lord, and write this down, you're seeing the manifest Lordship of Jesus Christ. You are seeing him come through with his influence and his power. And you can see that when people respond in the right way towards him. Listen to this from Galatians 2 if you want to turn there. I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What's important about this is that you see that there's not going to be you and I walking around with revival in us and through us when we haven't figured out that you and I are supposed to be dead to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Now listen to the silence. Amen. Nobody wants to hang from the chandeliers when they're told you need to be dead to yourself. That's right. Amen. But that's what's required to operate in a whatever mentality not concerning yourself or your welfare or what you want, but what he wants you to do any given moment in time. Luke chapter 9, 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Here's the shout and ground scripture. Take up their cross daily and follow me. When you look at the people in scripture and even uh, you know people that uh, God used mightily, uh, and the formation of our nation, and we're involved in great outpourings of the Spirit. Um, there were people who lived like this. They understood the connection between revival in us and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what we live under. That's what we operate under. Look at somebody and say, you have a Lord. You have a Lord either way. Here's a revelation for you. There are only two choices. Your Lord is either Jesus or it is Satan. That's right. That's right. No, 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 Pastor. There's a third option. There's what I want. What you want is intrinsically linked to what the devil wants if you choose not to do what God wants. In every scenario, there's only two influences. What God wants, say what God wants, and what the enemy wants. So in an odd way, even though we have church and have services and have ministry, oftentimes we're not really doing what God wants. So who actually is influencing us? Mm. Say, no, that's just flesh and that's just busyness. You can call it what you want to. If we're not obeying the Lord Jesus Christ, then who's influencing us? Okay. Are you all on the same page today? They must take up their cross Daily. Uh, what is the cross? It is an implement of death. Now, everybody wants to be used of God, but few people want to die enough to self to be used by God. 
And if you don't start amen at me, I'm going to go down to the Presbyterian church and start preaching this. <laughs> Let me say it again. Lots of people want to see the manifest presence and power and goodness of God. They want to see God's hand. They want to experience His presence and His power and His goodness. So not just theoretical, you know, theological, homiletical, hermeneutical, you know, but real manifesto, which means you get to see what He's doing. Not just, you know, believe that he's all powerful. You see that power in operation. Well, lo and behold, that people that live as though they were dead are used more in these areas than people who live the normal Christian Sunday going to meet kind of a lifestyle where God is a tack on. And as long as God is still a tack on in your life, you're not going to be able to flow in these things. And you put a bunch of tack on Christians in a service on Sunday. What happens if you bring a bunch of people who are dead to themselves? What's going to happen? Well, you know what's going to happen. I mean, everything from the ability to hear his instructions to boldly do what he tells you to do. And if you have a bunch of people in a given day going out and doing what God tells them to do, just by sheer averages, you're going to have a lot of operation of the Spirit of God, right? You're going to see a lot of things happen and take place. Look at all the stories now. It's a funny thing. The Christians that live as though they're dead, they have more stories. The more you're alive to you, the less spiritual stories you have. How many want to have more spiritual stories and testimonies? It's great you have a testimony that you were saved, baptized in the Holy Ghost, maybe healed at one point in time. But there comes a time when our testimony is not just about us. Our testimony becomes about what is God doing in us and through us. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross daily and follow me. Well, I died in myself today. Wasn't that good enough? You'll, you'll get up tomorrow morning needing to do the same thing all over again. Fun thing about the flesh, it loves resurrection. You think the resurrection at the end times is something? People resurrect their flesh every day. <laughs> so it's not a one-time thing and you're done. It will continue to rise up and say, I want dominance, I want influence, I want you to listen to me. Philippians 1.21, Paul said, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. You know, he's thinking, you know, thank you for your prayers. I believe that your prayers and the operation of the Spirit will turn for my deliverance. He ultimately said, you know, I'm in twix between two. I don't know what I will do. For me to remain here is better for you. He was basically saying for me to go is better for me. Amen. But his attitude was, guess what? If, they, if I'm martyred right now at this moment, and he wasn't at that moment or that season martyred, he's like, hey, that's, that's good for me. What are we saying is, but it doesn't matter because I'm already dead. Folks of mine say, are you dead yet? My brother-in-law, Ben Priest, came out of the outlaw biker world. And, uh, amen, a serious criminal organization. And um, he, when he got born again, he got born again. When he got spirit-filled, he got spirit-filled. Lord Jesus Christ did miracles in his life, healed his body, restored his life. And he was up on the streets of Chicago, which back then were violent. Today, it's just completely out of control. You know, they get rid of the current mayor. I'm thinking, what took you guys so long? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when are you actually going to do something for the people that live there? 
you know, that do the buying and the selling and the living and the raising their kids there and the paying and the taxes. You know, but uh, he's up there by uh, Jesus' people, and uh, this guy came up to him out of nowhere and put a shotgun on his chin because obviously Ben's spirit aggravated this guy. And he told him, looked at me in the eye and said, you know what, you keep your Jesus in the building over there or I'm going to pull this trigger and blow your head off. <laughs> now for you or for me, we might need to change your britches at that moment. <laughs> Excuse me while I go into this department store. <laughs> ben just looked at him with love and he said, go ahead and pull that trigger. He goes, because I'm already a dead man. He said, Jesus speaks through me. Jesus, you know, operates through my hands and talks to me and walks to me. Just go ahead and pull that trigger. That man pulled the gun away and just walked away shaking his head. Well, what if he'd pulled the trigger? Then Ben is with the one that he loves. And the other one probably got uh, a warning. Knowing the Illinois penal system right now. <laughs> but, uh, you know. One of the first things my sister taught me when I was a baby Christian was, you know, the authority of the believer and to, to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And she was talking about, you know, somebody were to, would have pointed a gun at you, you rebuke them in Jesus' name. And I said, well, what if I rebuke them and they pull the trigger anyway? She goes, well, then you go to heaven. That's my first spiritual lesson. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, we should be dead long before we die. And that's what's required to operate in this level of manifested glory. And to the extent that we are, and of course it's not a, it's not a corporate thing, it's not a church thing, it's an individual thing. Only you know exactly how much your life is lining up with this principle. Revival is hindered because there's little teaching today about dying to self, the Lordship of Christ, and saying things like, Lord, I'm yours to command. Come on, say that I am yours. To command. to command. I mean, you know, hardly the Wednesday night crowd needs to be lectured about this. You're more than the choir. Say it with me. This is the Overcomers Club. Say, <laughs> I'm part of the Overcomers Club. You know, but when you have not just before COVID, but after COVID, you know, before COVID, they're about uh, the average Christian went to church every three weeks. And um, after COVID, it got even worse. And um, now we're down to you know, about 25, 30% of people actually call themselves Christians with any kind of dedication to the house of God. We're down to about 2% of people and they call themselves evangelicals, even tithing. You can see there's a problem there. Now watch this. If God can't even get a born-again Christian to church, how is he going to get that person in position to flow through the, you know, with the power of God into somebody else's life? If we can't, if we can't even do the basics, I mean, we're far from dead. And we are actually totally in the flesh with giving God a nod and a wink every once in a while. And that's a personal thing. I mean, when there is no desire, no diligence, no discipline in the basic things of God, hello? Don't look at me with that tone. You're the overcomers, amen? <laughs> said, I'm part of the overcomers club. But this is, a, this is a, a really a serious issue. So one of the first things that happens is God gives you a consciousness of how far you strayed from that path. And that brings brokenness. It brings radical repentance when you see where you should be and where you are. That's where you have an Isaiah experience. Woe is me. And that's not a bad thing. 
But when you've been tricked into thinking repentance is negative and it's horrible, if I have to repent, I must be a really terrible person. No, if you repent, you've been given a blessing. Because it opens up so many things, in, you know, pertaining to the, the grace of God and the blessing of God in your life. Say it with me. Lord, Lord here, am I. here am I. I am yours, I am yours. To, command. to command. It could be as simple as some major assignment. It could be as simple as, you know, talking to somebody that you just, you don't even know, but you just met. It's whatever God has you do it. It's letting the light as Jackie talked about tonight and ministered to us by the Spirit of God. It's letting that light shine wherever you go and taking authority with the light over the darkness there. But if we're walking in darkness, you know, until we come into church all week long, how's that going to work? It's not. You know, that's why, you know, revival doesn't apply to somebody that was dead and now is alive. Revival applies to somebody who was alive, became dead, and needs to be brought back to life again. Revival is not for the person in the world that's never been saved. Amen. Revival is bringing to life again that which once was alive, but for whatever reason lost that life and that light. Amen. You'll find that selfishness and revival never go together. Jesus emptied himself through a process of self-kenosis to operate under the will, the authority, the leadership, unction, and power of the Spirit of God. We've got to be emptied of self and full of Christ as well. And when you get a hold of this and you develop a whatever mentality, your position basically to do what he wants you to do, empowered by the Spirit, and start racking up stories in your life. Amen. Look at somebody and say, God wants to use you. Come on, say it boldly. God, God wants to use you. Um, I've said this, and I believe this from the start, about this last great awakening this nation will endure. And it won't just be America. Don't make the mistake of thinking it's just about the United States. It never is just about the United States. Um, but this is not about some flashy fivefold minister showing up and calling that revival. No. No. It's just not. What our role in this is fivefold ministry gifts, pastor, prophets, evangelists, apostles, teachers. Our role in this is to equip you and prepare you and help navigate these waters when things happen. To help preserve fruit and that kind of thing. But get this deep in your spirit. God's not calling the fivefold to run this thing. He's calling the people in the seats to do it. He didn't bring anybody to Asbury and say, look at them, aren't they great? Now revival broke out. True. 17 students decide to remain after a chapel service. Say it with me, 17 students. 17 what? Students, they hadn't even finished their degree, decided to stay behind. I wonder who prompted them to stay behind. I think that was the flesh. No. And they did. And from that sparked a desire in other people. And I, I saw somebody tracing this. It's, it's dozens of nations this has already touched. From two Weeks, what, nine, ten days, actually. 
uh, in Kentucky. It's, it's, it's extraordinary what God has done. And so people that are, that are out there worried about everything, complaining about it, oh, what's God going to do? This is horrible and that's horrible. Yes, there's some terrible things that are out there. And some of those very things are, are on my heart tonight that I care deeply about and I want to see God bring justice to and His wisdom to. But stop and think about this. What God can do just in an instant with a yielded vessel. Amen. Say it with me. Lord, I'm here. I am yours to command. Though whatever attitude is an indicator of a revived and an obedient heart. Whatever you want me to do, Lord. So you can see if the Lord says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. If you can't do that, you're, you don't have a whatever mentality. That's right. You're just not there. Amen. I don't have to say that I'm judgmental here. It's just the way it is. You and I don't have a whatever Lord mentality when we're not even keeping the plain historic teachings of the Word of God. We're not even doing the basics of a Christian life. If we're not in prayer, if we're not reading the Word of God, if we're not serving, if we're not sowing, if we're not giving, if we're not doing the basics, we're not even walking in the light that we've had for years and years and years. How could He possibly entrust us with true riches? Amen. The whatever attitude is an indicator of a revived and obedient heart. Say it one more time. Lord, whatever. whatever. Say it again. Whatever, whatever you want me to do. I want to have that whatever mentality. So a few that do. The Lordship issue is really a reflection of what I would call, and you've heard me teach about the fear of the Lord. Um, we have a generation today, and not just this present generation, but an entire generation of generations walking the earth that have no fear of the Lord whatsoever. Which means there's no you know, real revelation of how powerful, mighty he is and that uh, he could just, you know, do that and we would all be gone. I mean, aren't you glad he's merciful? Say he is merciful and he's kind and he's gracious to us. Isn't he exceedingly gracious to us? Um, people that portray God as just the wicked taskmaster of the Old Testament, just beating up on people and destroying people. No, you have to do a little bit of research and find out how long God has dealt with those people. Amen. He, listen to me carefully. He looks for an opening to show His grace. Uh, and just an inkling of somebody that will respond to His heart so He can be, what, gracious in that situation. Um, but you need to see that uh, the fear of the Lord is, is a marvelous concept, but it's, it, at, its, at its root what it means is that you and I have such high regard and reverence and awe and respect for God. Are you here? Yeah. It turns into such great honor that that leads us to a place of obedience. Yes. Yeah. The fear of the Lord, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and revival in us and through us are all connected. The more fear of the Lord you have, the more God's going to use you. The more reverence you give Him, the more He's going to move in you and through you. The more respect you give Him and honor you give Him, the more you're going to see that anointing flow. They're connected. And this is not some great, well, they've got an anointing, they've got some special characteristic or gift. These are decisions. Every person in this room can say, I choose to reverence and honor the Lord in a way I never have before. 
I'm going to respect him and I'm going to show reverence to him. When I was raised in the Lutheran church, for example, well, there, there was a lot of reverence there, but don't mistake silence for reverence. A silent worshiper can be just as irreverent as a loud one. It's what's going on in the heart. And if a person is to their best of their ability, lining up with what the Spirit of God is already leading them to do day by day, they're keeping the plain teachings of Scripture, they're flowing with the Holy Ghost in their lives, that person is a person who has respect and reverence for God because they're ultimately obeying the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is having enough reverence, respect, and honor that it leads us to doing or obeying what God has said. You can see, God gets a few people like that, He can turn this nation upside down. But he just doesn't have a lot of them. Oh, yeah, he does. I mean, we got this church and we got that church and we got this going on and that going on. Just because you have people who call themselves Christians in a church, that does not mean they are dead to themselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ and reverencing him and honoring him. Why is this important? Proverbs 1.7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Of knowledge, but it goes on to say that fools basically have no use of that. What does that mean? Fools don't care enough to fear the Lord because they really don't care about knowledge. Proverbs 9:10 says the same thing, but about wisdom. Say wisdom. Knowledge is having a piece of God's information there. You know something. That comes through the fear of the Lord. But then the Bible talks about wisdom comes from what? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And wisdom is knowing what to do with that knowledge with the end result in mind. You see what can happen if you'll take the course of wisdom versus not taking that course. Now that is wisdom. Isn't it funny that both knowledge and wisdom come from fear in the Lord? Yeah. How many of you ever just needed to hear from God about something? Yes. Watch this. The more you fear the Lord, the more your eyes and ears are going to pop open. The more you reverence him, the more revelation you're going to have. Do you know that even tonight, there could be people sitting here receiving revelation left and right. And somebody is sitting next to you or in proximity, and they're receiving nothing. You're bored out of your gourd. And all you want to do is go home and watch TV. In the same service. It can happen Sunday morning after Sunday morning. It can happen on a Wednesday night. What's the difference? The one that reverences God and his word is going to receive revelation from that word. It's all in how you treat it. Jesus' hometown and even dealing with the Pharisees in John 8, they, they said, aren't we right that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? How's that for respect? The other place in the scripture, the Bible says the power of God was present to heal. But all those old Pharisees weren't getting anything. But the one sinner that was carried by his four friends got forgiveness and he got supernatural healing. To operate in these end times and be used of God, we're going to have to have a serious understanding of what reverence is and what respect is that a fear of the Lord that leads you to a place of obedience. Say, I'm here, Lord. I'm here to do your will. Say, I'm here to do your will. 
Say it with me, I'm yours to command. Say it one more time, I am yours to command. We can't know anything about God without respecting Him and His Word. We just can't. Uh, our little religion won't do it. Little doctrine books won't do it. Our little church websites won't do it. We're going to have to have something more than that in this life. How many like to have your eyes pop open, your ears pop open like they never have before? Amen. Amen. I'm, you can have more, more revelation flowing in your life this year than anybody in this town. It's entirely up to you. Amen. The foundation of revival is deep reverence and respect for the Lordship of Christ, expressed in radical humility, radical repentance, radical obedience for Him. Amen. You develop a whatever attitude. Amen. But uh, if we're not even doing the basics, then we're far from developing a whatever attitude. Say that we radical, radical. Humility. humility, radical, radical. Repentance. repentance, radical, radical. Obedience. obedience. Amen. Well, I'm, I'm here on a Wednesday night. Isn't that pretty good? Yeah. That is good. Um, you automatically separated yourself from 95% of all Christians in America. Congratulations. Look at somebody and say, congratulations, you're on the right track. Praise God. That's a good thing. <laughs> Come on and say, it is a good thing. But this doesn't necessarily mean that in any given moment in time that you're in a position with a whatever mentality and attitude to do the things he tells you to do. Why would we say things like, you know, radical humility? Because if he begins to knock on your door to do something you're not comfortable with in a location you're not comfortable doing, you're going to have to what? Crucify yourself at that moment and just let God use you. Now the devil will say things like, well, if you say something to that person, you know what, you're going to be wrong and you're going to miss it and you're going to be embarrassed and they're not going to like you. They may not like you already. <laughs> and if they don't know you, who cares? Never see him again. But you're going to have all this pressure to what? To not be embarrassed. What is that called? That's called pride. <laughs> yep. And pride obviously is not the character of God and is not the Lordship of Jesus Christ, is not a God-fearing, honoring kind of a lifestyle. So a lot of the crucifixion that needs to be done, a lot of the dying itself has to do with things just like that. A awful a lot of good things have already been dealt with in your life. Aren't you glad for that? Amen? So, well, what if I pray for somebody and nothing happens? What if you pray for somebody and everything happens? <laughs> when Happy Caldwell was called by God to build a Christian network in the state of Arkansas, which is amazing what God's done in Arkansas, I heard some statistics that 85% of the homes in Arkansas, something like that, have no debt on them. Wow. Thank the Lord. Um, you wouldn't think that, you know, because of stereotypes and everything that's out there. But uh, the Lord said, I want you to do this. And what you're going to do is you're going to bring the body of Christ together and you're going to have your programs on and other people's programs. You're going to preach the gospel 24 hours a day, specifically covering, you know, Arkansas. And that bleeds over into other states as well. And uh, then the Lord said to him, you know, uh, and you weren't my first choice for this. He said, 
I wasn't. He goes, how many people did you ask to do this before you came to me? And the Lord said, seven. Seven. Seven examples where someone, for whatever reason, fear or embarrassment or whatever, did not do the thing that God told him to do. And he did, and he really has changed uh, you know, the face of that, uh, that entire state. Well, the gospel, why? The gospel is powerful. Yes, it is. Amen. You need to be doing what God's assigned you to do. That's not going to happen if you haven't developed a whatever mentality, if you've not developed a, a comprehension of what it means to have a Lord over your life. How many glad you're saved? Amen. But if all you were told when you got saved was believe in Jesus and go to heaven, but you weren't told about the other side of the coin, which is lordship. If you will not let him be Lord, you cannot, amen, claim him as Savior. That is not what the American church has been told. Amen. And it's just too quiet in here for the Overcomers Club. So either the heat is on too high, or, or you just want me to skip and have an altar call right now. Say it with me. It's not just Savior. It's Lord. This is the mentality that it causes things like massive, you know, outpourings to happen where people just, it's, uh, it's I'm saved, praise the Lord, but now, Lord Jesus, what would you have me do? I can tell you as a pastor that I run into this all the time, that most Christians are completely self-directed in their lives. God really doesn't care where I want to live. He could care less where I think I should preach. Nope. He could care less where you think you should have a job. That's right. Amen. Amen. In fact, if he were standing before, he would say, I can't tell you how much I don't care. Because when you got born again, listen carefully, you were supposed to come up out of that baptism pool, not just the same way you went down, selfish and self-directed. But dead. Yeah. Say it with me. Dead. D-E-A-D. -E so all that matters now is where does the Lord Jesus want you? You know, sila on these things. Meditate on these things because being used like that requires that you and I live this way. But so many people are just focused on what they think and what they want. And we've heard some doozies through the years. Like one person told Kelly, well, we're moving over to this city because they got great shopping and restaurants. Born again, spirit-filled people sat under the word of God. And that's the motivation for the town they chose to live in. In the end times. Have you noticed that's the end times? Yes. Amen. Now, Joy, she wanted to move here on purpose. She chose Murray, Kentucky. <laughs> but what if God was moving pieces around like on a chessboard and you were one of his important pieces and he has placed you supernaturally in a position to be a part of one of the greatest moves of God this nation has ever seen? And he's chosen to use our part of the state to do it. Amen. Yes. I just don't believe it. That's your problem. Amen. You're cynical. 
Nah, I'm just being realistic. No, realistic is just another name for cynical. <laughs> just call it what it is. It's like when somebody talks ugly about somebody else, you know, and they're chit-chatting about them and gossiping. I'm just venting. No, you're not. You're sinning. Not venting. Sinning. Stop recategorizing everything because you're just, you know, pretending. In reality, amen. Yes. <laughs> Could it be that you're here for such a time as this? And take uh, Esther as an example. Um, the name given to her actually means hidden star. No one knew how pivotal she would be in the history of God's dealing with the people of God. And there she was supernaturally placed in that harem, in that proximity. And then God gave her favor out of all of those other people. She was raised up. At that moment, a plot against the people of God. Only one person could have opened up the door for a remedy. And there she was. Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad that that day she was dead to herself? She saved her entire people with her obedience. Completely and totally changed the dynamic. While the edict of taking out the Jews couldn't be reversed, the Jews were given another edict that could rise up and defend themselves and attack anybody in that kingdom that would attack them. And so they did. Amen. Say it with me. It's about God's will. Not mine. Funny thing about people that are flowing in, in revival in the heart, it's all about God's will. It's all about what, what God wants. It's no longer about what you want. That's right. Amen. And, uh, you know, church for decades can be this little hazy, you know, you know, fog of just existing, doing what we want to do and giving God a little time and a little indifference because we love Him as Savior. Boy, we need to develop a passion for Jesus as Lord. Yes. Yes. Come on, say, that. Lord, give me. A passion for Jesus as Lord. Because you're not giving up anything. You're about to enter into adventures like you never have before. I promise you this. You've not given up anything you thought you should have had or should have been or should have done. Amen. But taking on this, this path of a consecrated one and opening up your mouth and doing what he tells you to do, you're going to have more fun, more excitement, have more stories, have more victories than you would have had ever doing what you thought you should have been doing. Time is short. Your time on this planet is short. The time on this planet, period, is short. What we do, we must do, do quickly. Say it with me. The foundation of revival. Say the foundation of revival is deep reverence and respect for the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's expressed in radical humility, radical repentance, Radical obedience. And you come out saying to the Lord, whatever. Say it with me, whatever. whatever. Say it one more time, whatever, Lord. Whatever, whatever you have for me. And um, now if you could really match your heart behind what you just said and mean it. Yes. Yes. That's what I, yeah, but I've got all these plans and I, I think it should go this way. I tell you what you do is you just bring those plans and put them in the altar and give them to God. Amen. That's 
If they're of God, they will flourish. Amen? If it's not, God will put something else in your heart that he really wants you to be involved in. Without going into the scriptures, uh, real quickly, go back to, um, to Philip as an example. I believe Philip had the, the whatever attitude for revival. In Acts 6.5, first of all, the Lord basically said to him and several others, we want you to serve tables so the apostles will not come off the word of God in prayer. You will take care of the distribution of means for the widows, making sure that the Greeks and the Hebrews are taken care of. And you know what Philip said? Yes. Whatever. I can tell you, a lot of Christians lose out right then and there. I'm not doing that menial thing. I'm not doing that thing where nobody can see me. I'm not doing that thing that doesn't seem to matter. You know, I want to be something. I want to do something. I want to be seen. Let somebody else take care of that. Let somebody else take out the trash. Let somebody else clean the toys. Let somebody else, you know, work with the kids. You want to be used in this end time revival? God taps you on the shoulder and he says, I need you to do this. You say, whatever. Say it with me, whatever. I find it outstanding that this narrative in Acts 6 through about 8, in addition, of course, to Stephen's martyrdom, I find it outstanding that this man is basically a deacon that God chooses to use. The story is not about one of the apostles. They come in during the revival to lay hands on those to receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost. But it's Philip. The first thing is when God said, I want you to serve tables, he said what? He said, whatever. Come on, shout it out. Whatever. whatever. In Acts 8, 5, he preached Christ to the people. And they heard it. They received it. And it was demonstrated with signs following that demons shrieked as they left. Lames got up to walk. People were delivered and set free. Because when he was called upon by God during the dispersion, during the persecution, he said, Whatever. I was over here serving tables, but now I'm preaching Christ over here in Samaria. Whatever. That's the mentality. And because he said whatever, some great things happened. In Acts chapter 8, later on he was told to leave the revival that God called him to actually initiate. (laughs) And guess what he does? I need you to go over here to the desert road. And what does he say? Whatever. Yeah, a lot of people aren't willing to do the insignificant in their eyes. But oftentimes that's not insignificant at all if God's doing it. And he goes to the desert road. The Ethiopian drives up. And this guy just happens to be reading from the book of Isaiah. Just happens to be. And it just happens to be he's reading Isaiah 53. And Philip, right? You can feel the nudging of the Holy Ghost. You need to explain this to him. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? He didn't step up and say, you know, you're a heathen, you're this, you're that, you're a horrible person. No, he came to Jerusalem to worship the one true God. He just was not a born again person. You understand what you're reading? No, how can I unless somebody explain it to me? Hey, Philip, I need you to climb up there with him. Whatever, Lord. He climbs up, explains it to him. The man begins to have understanding. And what's his next reaction? Hey, man of God, there's some water there. 
What prohibits me from being baptized? Hey, Philip, the Holy Ghost says, I need you to baptize this man. What does Philip say? Whatever. Whatever. He goes down in the water and baptizes him. And when they came up, the Ethiopian's like, Shazam! <laughs> He's gone. He's translated literally tw- you know, 10 to 12 miles away. Think of that. To Azotus, where he continued to be called upon God to preach. And what did he say? Whatever. Whatever. Four distinct moments he repeats over and over again with his attitude and his action. Whatever you have for me. Everybody say, that's how revival breaks out. Come on, say it. Revival breaks out in people with a whatever attitude. Whatever you want me to do. Watch this. Needs were met when he was serving tables. Is that important? Yeah, it's part of what we do is taking care of when people are in tough situations. We see people in salvation, souls like the Ethiopians and others. We know from history, right now, we have a serious Islamic influence and domination in Ethiopia, but it wasn't always that way. It was a nation of people who understood both Judaism but also Christianity. From what? From one man saying whatever. Look at somebody and tell them there's power in a single whatever. He had supernatural healings. How many like to see the lame walk? How many like to see eyes pop open? How many like to see limbs grow back? How many like to see creative miracles? That comes on the heels of people saying to God, whatever. We see deliverance supernaturally. People were delivered of demons. We don't have any demons in America. Are you kidding me? I think it's the sheer grace of God that if all the demons at Walmart manifested simultaneously, it'd freak all of us out. But if they're there, how else can you explain somebody dressing like that and going to Walmart? It must be a demon. <laughs> Moving right along, hallelujah. Great deliverances. Baptisms in the Holy Spirit. The apostles were called because the massive number of people who were getting saved also needed to be what? <coughs> Baptized in the Holy Ghost. I say, thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the Holy and miracles like the translation to Azotus. I mean, there's no explanation how this is done. This is, this is long before, you know, Star Trek came out. There's no beam me up, Philip. But that's exactly what happened. He was literally physically, say it with you, physically, physically transported from one location to the next. And he didn't have to go through a TSA checkpoint. Didn't have to check his baggage. It was just there and that. Now some of you have heard me tell me a story, but uh, my, my sister one time just laid down on the couch one night and she fell asleep and somebody that, uh, she'd been ministered to was in a very bad situation, troubled, and uh, on the verge of some major life destruction. And um, the, the lady calls her the next day and thanked her for visiting her. In the night, she received deliverance and miraculous power hitting her life and transformed her life. Described exactly what kind of clothing she had on, everything about it. And as far as Tammy is concerned, she never left the couch. I look at somebody and say, these things are real. They're real. But they happen in people's lives when they say, 
whatever. Uh, the first time is like, no, I, I wasn't at your house last night. And then she got to thinking, maybe I was at your house last night. Uh, I mean, no, the, no demon got her saved. God is, uh, is all powerful. Yes, he is. Amen. Philip, just one example in scripture of somebody with a whatever mentality. Turn to somebody and say, whatever. Uh, that's key. Whatever is derived from a, a heart that understands, dying to self, and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We are His to command. Amen. Inside a church service, outside these walls. And a lot of people are out there and they're hurting, they're confused. Even people that go to church, they're, they're bound up by religion, they're bound up, uh, limited by what they know. And our job is not to be, you know, superior in our thinking or arrogant, but be humble and say, you know what, I found some good stuff and I want to share it with you. Yeah. Say, what if they reject it? That's on them. That's it. Yeah. You serve somebody a meal and they reject it, that's not on you. No. That's right. That's right. Amen. How do I know that? I'm a pastor. I've been serving meals for a long time. And not everybody eats them. Uh, some gag. <laughs> Amen. Uh, some do fine, and when they're walking out of the service, they begin to throw up. That's just the reality of the situation. You're not obligated what people do with what God gives them. Your job is just to give them what God has told you to give them. Sometimes it'll be an encouraging word. You know, the power of just saying something encouraging to somebody is amazing. Amen. Can absolutely save their life. Amen. Glory to God. Praying for them, investing in them. Sowing into their life, doing good in their life. You'd be amazed what God can do. So I want you to write these simple four principles down, how you can cultivate a whatever attitude in your life. Say it with me. Whatever attitude <coughs> is one of deep respect, reverence for God, respect and honor for Him, and much quantity that you actually obey what He tells you to do. Number one, you need to look in. Look in what? Your own heart. And repent if necessary. If you're too busy, apathetic, or distracted for everyday revival. Look in your own heart. Notice I didn't say look at everybody else. No. Look in your own heart. And if uh, you're not really willing and obedient, just be honest about it. Say, so, you know, I want to be that way, Lord, but I'm not. Uh, complete your work in me. And just let him know, you know, I've been too apathetic. Uh, in other words, I, I don't care that much about these things. What's the big deal? What's all the excitement about? What's the excitement about? An entire generation right now on college campuses across the country is being changed forever. Yeah. One Just one moment can transform a young person's life forever. Yes. The devil's in the classrooms. The devil is in the professor's offices. The devil is throughout our universities across the country. And the Holy Ghost is not asking permission. He's just showing up because the kids are saying whatever. Amen. We should be encouraged that if that's what the, this generation looks like, our nation is far from done. That's right. Amen. But look in your own heart. Repent if necessary. You're too busy, apathetic, or just simply distracted to be used of God. Number two, sell out. Totally dedicate yourself. Sell out. Totally dedicate yourself. Die to yourself daily. Receive and walk in not just the revelation of Jesus the Savior, but Jesus the what? Lord. The Lord, which means He's the CEO, you're not. He's the manager, you're not. He's the controller, you're not. He's on the throne and you're not. You're not. Except too many of us are, aren't we? 
Do you know there's not enough room on that throne for you and him? Amen. Look in, sell out. Number three, charge up. You don't stay charged spiritually any more than an electric vehicle does. This is fascinating. I know some people love the idea of it and other people don't. And whatever you like is what you like, you know. Uh, there are different reasons for people being attracted to that. But uh, whatever the case may be, uh, you're going to have to plug that thing in and charge that vehicle or you're not going very far at all. I think it was a Kia commercial that was bragging and celebrating it only took 18 minutes to charge the vehicle. So imagine that you're running across the country in 18 minutes at what used to be a gas station to do whatever. Ford's working on one that's even faster than that, four or five minutes. The only difficulty with this is, of course, we don't have the electrical grid to maintain vehicles for Americans that potentially will buy them. And you say, where will the power come from? The power can only come from fossil fuels at this point because we do not have the ability right now to generate enough with windmills. And there aren't enough TVAs to do this. So it's a big time problem, for sure. But we're not talking about an EV vehicle today in your life. We're talking about the fact that you can't stay charged unless you're plugged into God, His Word, and His presence. You're not going to go anywhere without that kind of charging. And that's a decision. And you know, there are a lot of Christians that are out there on the highway of life and they're stuck. They love God? Yep. They're going to heaven? Yep. But they're not going anywhere. Why? Because they don't stay charged up. Are you here today? Turn to somebody and tell them, you got to stay charged. In His presence, in His Word. You know, how sad would it be if somebody bought a brand new Tesla and they finally arrived, but it doesn't go anywhere. Because you just magically thought you could just go in there and push the pedal and everything would be fine. Um, you say, hey, genius, you've got to charge that thing up. Amen. I freaked a bunch of people out of the showroom for Tesla. We were in uh, Tampa, Florida, at the International Mall there, and they had an early showroom of Tesla vehicles, and they were cool. They were innovative and everything. And uh, they opened up the compartment where all the... Anybody here have an EV vehicle? Raise your hand. Anybody does? You have an EV vehicle, don't you? It's not a Tesla, though, is it? No. Um, and all these, uh, all these massive... There must have been twin, you know, 10, 12, 14 batteries, something like that, in there. And they're, they're, everybody's just... You know, just Eyes were just, you know, overwhelmed with what they're seeing and, and awe and ooh. And I just stepped up and I said, yep. And I said, that's all produced with coal energy. <laughs> I almost got thrown out. <laughs> uh, but that's the honest truth. And as long as we understand that, that's perfectly fine. Uh, if we're here in 500 years, we probably won't have the fossil fuels to maintain what we do in this nation. But... Uh, the problem what's going on right now, and this won't cost you anything extra today, we just can't do things in a flash. They have to be done progressively in easy stages. And there's some people in our country just don't understand that. And it's, it's very, very damaging to our nation. Amen. But uh, you need to stay charged yourself. Yes. Well, that's what I come to Wednesday night service for. Wow. Well, you might get a spark here. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yes. And I hope you do. But you're not going to get fully charged from any service. No. 
And that right there is the fallacy of I can just go to meeting after meeting after meeting and everything's going to be fine. You've got to find your way in your own relationship with God to stay charged up, whether there's a meeting going on or not. Amen. Say praise the Lord. Look in, sell out, charge up, and next, go forth. Every day be sensitive for God's leading and opportunity to share Christ. Pray for the sick. Do whatever He's telling you to do. Sometimes you'll hear a voice telling you to do something. Sometimes you'll just see it, and you should obey that image that's coming from the Holy Ghost. Um, if you doubt it's from God, ask yourself the simple question, would the devil ask me to do this? Well, I felt like impressed like I was supposed to go over there and ask somebody in Walmart, checking out if I could lay hands on them and pray for them. I don't know what's going on. Ask yourself, would the devil ever ask you to go pray for somebody no. under any circumstance no. for them to be? Of course not. And when you get to think about this, you start realizing God has been talking to us a whole lot more than we realize. Mm -hmm. We've just been dismissing it as us sometimes thinking it's even the devil. Look at somebody and tell them it's not the devil. Come on, say, thank God for the Holy Ghost. And what's critical during this time and this season as God prepares our hearts, continues to, to get us ready for what He has, is to stay focused. Don't let yourself be distracted. Amen. Uh, Keith Moore was talking about he just was in the middle of this series and God was blessing people who were just receiving revelation and growing leaps and bounds. And this lady came up to him and said, you know, I didn't receive a thing out of those messages. He said, how come? He said, she said, you had a string on the cuff of your pant. And I just couldn't get my eyes off of that. <laughs> Could you imagine losing revelation over that? He said, another lady one time in the middle of a service jumped up and says, I can't stand it anymore. He said, what's that? She goes, you keep using double negatives. Your grammar is terrible. And she walked out. Could you imagine walking out of a place of revelation because somebody's not perfect with the king's English? Don't get distracted. The acceleration of that is offended over something. Learn to laugh at yourself. Don't take yourself so seriously. The people of God are funny. They'll crack you up if you observe them long enough. But the minutia of a string on somebody's pant cuff, <laughs> you sit there and lose everything because that person had a string on their, on their pants. That's just nuts. Look at somebody and say, stay focused. stay focused. Amen. Distraction is a major weapon of the enemy to keep you out of the flow of what God has. So how many like to have a whatever mentality? Yes. How many believe God will honor that? How many know if he honors it, then he's got some instructions for you? How many like to have some stories to tell as well? Yes. Raise your hand if you want to have some stories to tell what God has done in you. And not because we want to be braggadocious or arrogant, prideful. We just want to witness what God is doing, amen, and be a part of it. You can be. So go ahead and close your eyes for just a moment. Take a moment to look inward. Make a decision to sell out. Make some adjustments so you can charge up your life and then be diligent every day to go forth. And that's you, and you just want God to build in you the mentality and attitude of whatever He says, that's what I want to do. Just raise your hand right now. A revelation of lordship.
like you've never had before. He's Savior and He's Lord. Pray this out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you today. I have new beginnings in you. I understand I've not arrived. I'm a work in progress, but I am progressing. I understand I need a deeper revelation of what lordship means. As of this day, I am yours to command. I repent for being too busy, distracted, apathetic, to be engaged in serving you in these last days. I thank you today. You're going to charge me up and send me out like never before. I say boldly tonight, here am I. Send me. Here am I. Use me. Whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to say, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to say it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, there'll be testimonies. There'll be stories. There'll be supernatural things happen in me and through me in Jesus' name. Just like Philip, whatever you say to do, I'm going to do it in Jesus' name. Come on, give him a hand clap and thank him tonight.